1: It's ten years since residents of a Dublin apartment block were evacuated over building safety concerns. Priory Hall in Donomede became a symbol for the Celtic Tigers' property madness for all the wrong reasons. I'm Siobhan Maguire and you're listening to the Indo Daily from independent.ie. Today I'm joined by the Irish Independent's Conor Feehan and former Priory Hall resident Stephanie Meehan.
0: When we look back on Priory Hall, it was an emblem of the boom and bust of Ireland.
1: And former Priory Hall resident, Stephanie Meehan. I still think about fear every
2: day, of course, and
1: it still hurts. Conor Feehan, news correspondent with The Irish Independent. You've been covering the case of Priory Hall for 10 years now. You were covering it from day one, pretty much. Can you refresh our minds as to what happened and why?
0: Yeah, uh, Priory Hall um, certainly became a, a huge story from, from simple enough beginnings. Like a lot of apartment complexes in, in Dublin um, at the time. There was a massive construction boom. It was, uh, it was built in, in a boom period. During the boom. A lengthy boom period. Long building, before the financial uh, crash. Building boom. Property boom, price boom and a construction Of course, we can all look back with hindsight to, to that and say we should have seen things biggest coming. biggest real estate bubble of any place in the world. At the time, there was people buying apartments off plans before they were even built. Uh, banks were handing out mortgages left, right and center. Credit was easy to get. And property prices were rising. And there was a lot of pressure for, for people to, to try and get on the ladder um, because they just felt that they were just going to keep going up and up. So a lot of people bought into to Priory Hall, which was a 189 apartment complex in Donomede in in North Dublin. And they bought off the plans in, in around 2005, 2006, moved in around 2007 when things were largely built. There was still some construction going on when, when people started moving in. And fairly quickly then, some people started to notice problems with um water ingress and and damp and uh, and things and you know they, they were I suppose niggly enough problems but um, but at the same time they were they were making a bit of noise about it and in the end then the council came in and had to inspect the the property because they had tenants in it and um, they found that there was uh, deficient fire protection in in the building and that's really where the story started.
1: And can you set the scene for us, Connor? when you would have arrived, um, you know, to see residents uh, clearing out their possessions out of apartments? Um, I mean, it was it was it was very real for the tenants initially who were moved out first for the owner occupiers watching all this happening uh, and yet still staying in their own homes because they weren't quite sure uh, what was going on. What kind of scenes uh, were you presented with?
0: Yeah, it, it, it was quite quite stark. Um, the, the council had obviously moved out their tenants at that stage back in 2009, but the owner-occupiers were left. Um, Coalport, the building company that built it, uh, run by Tom McFeely, had been ordered by the courts to, uh, or by the council to, to fix the problems, but that didn't happen. So the whole thing went to the High Court, and uh, in the end, Justice Nicholas Kearns decided that the property had to be evacuated. Uh, and a fire brigade had to be there while this was going on because he felt there was such a a, a risk to the people. So when we arrived when the properties were all being um, evacuated it was a really unusual scene because you're talking about more than 40 families trying to get out of their apartments really really quickly and they had hired vans they had borrowed vans and they were trying to move their stuff down and off the premises and some of them didn't know where they were going and there were some really unusual scenes like I remember seeing beds and settees and couches being lowered from balconies on ropes and down into the into the car park and into the back of vans and people running around with suitcases and even washing baskets full of clothes people that didn't have enough suitcases to carry everything plastic bags black plastic bags and there was a general kind of a feeling of fear and panic and anger
1: and Was there temporary accommodation set up for for the residents? Yeah,
0: the courts decided that um, if they were evacuating everybody, the, the council, Dublin City Council, would would have to would have to house them in temporary accommodation, uh, emergency accommodation. Now, the council kind of railed against that a, a bit. It, it actually went to the Supreme Court to try and overturn that decision because it, it felt that it didn't have that uh, level of responsibility uh, to the the, the owner occupiers. But in the end, they did have to house people while the whole uh, the whole system to try and remedy this this problem uh, w- w- was ironed out, and that was that was a a process that took more than two years. And you're, you're looking at a time when you know all these people, all they had done was bought a home. It wasn't like they had invested in shares or bought cryptocurrency or taken a huge risk. All these people had done was bought a home, which is what any of us would, would do or aspire to do. And yet now, all of a sudden, they found themselves in a situation where they had to be experts on building regulations, experts on mortgages, experts on planning. They're just ordinary people like anybody else in the country. And all of a sudden, they're faced with this situation where they're battling with the government, they're battling with the council, and they're battling with the banks
1: was a very bitter pill to swallow, first of all, to move into what you presumed was your dream home uh, for things to go horribly wrong, for you to have to then leave, evacuate your property, you know, bring your young family with you um, and then find that the banks were still expecting you to carry on paying a mortgage for a property that was effectively faulty.
0: Yeah, the banks, uh, the the way the, the residents explained it to me was that the banks were treating their situation as anybody else who had been affected by the crash and was suddenly in trouble with their mortgages. And there were differences with Priory Hall, but because it was a unique situation, it took an awful long time for them to get their voices heard. Yes, the crash had happened at that stage, and there were people having trouble paying their mortgages. But a lot of people who would have been in Priory Hall under ordinary circumstances would have had no trouble paying their mortgages. But they felt, well, hold on, you know, why why would we pay a mortgage on something that is worthless? And So what they wanted to do was to walk away from their mortgages, but banks weren't in a position or they felt they weren't obliged to sort of offer that kind of a service. So it took more than two years for a system to be worked out where in the end, the owner occupiers were able to walk away from their mortgages.
1: Now, I know you're still very much in contact with uh, quite a few residents of Priory Hall then. And um, thankfully, they've moved on now with their, their own lives. But there's one particular story that really captured the nation at the time. And it's that of Fikra Daly, who took his own life, and um, the very powerful words of his wife, Stephanie Mehan, who went public to basically share the stress and the strains that this particular development had put on them?
0: It was, um, it was a very, very dark uh, and, and unfortunate um, situation that, that, that the people in Priory Hall found themselves in because they had been battling. And like a lot of things in Irish society, things move so slowly and a lot of them felt they were getting nowhere. And I know... I've been speaking with Stephanie since the very beginning on all of this and she was one of the residents who was very, very open and free with information about what stage the process was at and what stage their mortgage was at and what was what the banks were asking of them. And nothing was happening. Everything was just kind of rumbling along and, and, and going nowhere and then all of a sudden from nowhere, really. Everybody was blindsided when when Fieker took his own life. And the unusual thing about that is that it really set the focus on trying to find a resolution. It really did concentrate minds. And within a few months, a resolution was found. But Fieker's still gone.
2: And I start shouting up, I said, fear Fierker, Fierker, you're late for work, you know, and Oisin at this stage was beside me. And thank God, I don't know, I, somebody was looking after me because I just told Oisin to stay with Karis. Not not suspecting anything, I just said, stay with your sister, you know, it's just mine Karis. I went up and the door was closed, and which is very unusual in um, in our house. We yeah. always had the door because the children, we, we wanted to yeah, be able to hear the them. children. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I pushed the door open and Fiacre um, was there, dead.
1: Stephanie Meehan, you're a former resident of Priory Hall and uh, the nation really took you into their hearts after you went public about your own story and that of uh, your partner, Fikra Daly. Can you uh, talk to me again about that period of your life?
2: Yeah, it was from, we, we actually were renting a property that was very close by to Priory Hall. So we could see, we could literally see it going from the grounds right up being built. And at first it seemed to start off okay, and then things started to slow down. And it was um, in 2009 when we, it was actually the end of 2008, in 2009, when we finally got our keys and we moved in, there were A lot of visible problems that even I could see, and I have absolutely no background in construction or anything like that. And we could see the problems from the get-go. But we just thought a new build, there were still some builders, construction workers on site, that they'd be working to iron out all these, which we thought at first were very small issues.
0: Local councillors have expressed disbelief that Dublin City Council took on these apartments at Priory Hall and that compliance certificates were issued by the developers' architects. The scheme has damp problems, and 16 social housing families were evacuated when the scheme was declared a fire risk last December. But private owners who paid around €270,000 for a two-bed unit are left there, as are those who purchased through the council under the affordable or shared ownership scheme.
1: As an owner-occupier, you were sitting in your apartment watching other people, tenants of Dublin City Council being um, herded out, moved out of the apartment block. Uh, And you were probably sitting there all the while wondering, well, what about us? It was really strange. It was into that was that was
2: actually quite far back. It was in two thousand and nine. So that was kind of in the very early stages. We had only just moved in. And we did. We saw that even our neighbors and people that were in blocks just beside us, at first we didn't really understand what was going on, but there were a kind of like a, a removal trucks arriving. And rather than moving furniture in, they were actually taking furniture out. So that had us quite baffled. And we weren't we, we really were left in the dark. We had absolutely no idea what was going on there. But it wasn't until 2011 when we got the fire safety, the evacuation notice from Justice Nicholas Kearns that we realized the the level of of problems um, in Priory Hall. But that was two years after Dublin City Council tenants had already been evacuated, so that that in itself was was very confusing, and and now years on and looking back, um, it was it was dreadful. It was a dreadful, dreadful situation to leave us in.
1: Stephanie, when you look back now, I mean, it it must feel quite surreal. Um, I I remember you on the Late Late Show at the time uh, speaking so powerfully about the tragic death of uh, Fiacra. And I think that's where... A lot of people in this country sat up and went, my goodness, the strain and struggles uh, the people of Priory Hall are facing into uh, has now led to the tragic death of one of the residents. Do you think it it, it was it was a fearrous tragedy that really uh, turned the tide Absolutely without shadow of a doubt. I, I know that is the
2: reason it was even a week there was even I think it was up to a week to ten days beforehand. we were still campaigning outside the doll. Myself and a couple of former residents as well. And nobody would listen to us. There were obviously some party members from different parties, but in, in regards to Fina Gale that were in government at the time, Phil Hogan wouldn't speak to us, and Kenny wouldn't speak to us. Our own local T- TDs did very little to help us out. And um, there were always the parties that were in opposition that were there to help us and to stand with us. Um, but I, I have no doubt in my mind that it took. Fierke's death um, to wake people up and realise that this this needs to stop. That uh, people needed to wake up and listen, and that it wasn't the residents' fault. Absolutely no fault of any resident that we were left in this predicament. Um, we we had continued to pay our mortgage right up until we 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 were we were advised to to stop paying it because it was completely uninhabitable at that time. Um, and we seem to be the ones that, that the blame was being put on. Everybody else seemed to be walking away scot-free. And without shadow of a doubt, I, I know that only for what had happened to Fiercourt, to, to my partner and to my children's dad, that we could still be sitting here, still fighting, still worried um, and still still trying to deal with it because definitely nothing would have happened. I have no doubt in my mind that anything would have happened.
1: Stephanie, ten years on and we're talking about Priory Hall again. Um how are you now? Um has has life moved on? Are you able to put that that chapter behind you? Yeah, of
2: course. You you just have to get on with things. Oshin is now nearly sixteen and Keris, who was the little baby in the carry carry seat at the time, is ten. And I I have to be a parent. I have to I had to get on and get up every day and and try and make sure that they had as normal a life and upbringing as as possible, and that I that I also could recover and that I I had been we'd all been through such a deep trauma, and not only me my extended family Fear Chris family and only for the help of them and support of my family and friends I, I think we've been be in a very different uh, position now. The children are really good. They're in school and. Uh, and are, are, are growing up to be lovely young adults. And I, I am good. I mean, I, I, I still think about fear every day, of course, and it still hurts. It hurts. And, um, you know, I, all the things that he, he's, he's missed, his children, all the milestones that he's missed. And like, even when it comes to the likes of COVID and the pandemic the past two years, I'm like, my God, what would he have thought about this? He's still very much a part of our lives, although not here. When you're faced with adversity, I think you just kind of pull strength from everywhere and from other people. And as I said, the support from my family has just been incredible. My dad in particular is still now is like he he still every every day will ring and say, How are we doing? How are we doing today? You know, and how are the kids? He is sometimes you feel like he's tormenting us, but in actual fact, he's just making sure that we're okay. And if we're okay, he's okay. So yeah, we, we just we just get on with things. And as I said, he's he's so missed and he was such a lovely, lovely person. And there was no way that I was going to let his death. When I know, I I know I'm 100% convinced and I know what we both went through. And I know it was a direct result of the pressure from what we were under. So, you know, I, I wasn't going to let that lie. Absolutely not. And I do the same again today. And I know there was a lot of exposure and it was very hard for me as well. Gone from a very, very quiet individual to be completely flung into the newspapers and, and radio and everything. It's not what I what I do. It wasn't I was never a part of my life. So for for me to have to deal with that, um, it was it was all just from the strength of other people and to make sure that theatre got what was what was deserved.
1: So, Connor, we look at the Irish property landscape today and it doesn't seem to be much better in terms of supply and demand and rising prices. Uh, we have the mica redress story um, across the news at the moment. Uh, we can't forget the pyrite scandal as well. There is a silver lining for what was Priory Hall. It is a, a new development uh, in the same location. And... Um, it has uh, it has a, a new story to tell.
0: Yeah, Priory Hall, like at, at the time that this story broke, people were they were looking for it to be demolished, really. you know, no, Nobody could ever foresee a situation where somebody w- would live in it. But at the end of the day, what happened was Dublin City Council had to take it over and, and redevelop it. Now, the, the estimated cost of that uh, was reported at the time to be around 30 million euro. But basically what Dublin City Council did was they went in and they stripped it back to its bare bones. They took the whole face off it. All the brickwork came down. And it was stripped back to a concrete shell, and they started again and built it to a very high standard. And now there are families living in what is called New Priory, and you know from speaking to people like Stephanie and other residents who, who used to live in in Old Priory Hall. They certainly wish all the new residents the best and they hope they have long and, and, and happy lives there and it's a, it's a different place. I drove into it last week while researching the story for the Irish Independent and I was kind of gobsmacked at, at how well it looks, I, I couldn't believe it to be honest. But, you know, still there are questions to be asked about our building regulations and our planning regulations. And there is some criticism that even though regulations were changed in 2014 in the wake of Priory Hall, maybe they still haven't gone far enough.
1: This episode of The Indo Daily was produced and presented by myself, Siobhan Maguire, with research by Tabitha Monaghan and sound design by John Smith archive clips with thanks to independent.ie and RTE. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.